Hello and welcome to the Plus Up podcast brought to you by Media Plus Advisors. This is Carly Feinstein and I'm here with my partners Susan George and Perianne Grignan and we have some fun things to talk about. Perianne, will you introduce our topic for today? Thanks Carly. Hi. Um, today we're going to review um, some of the presentations that and discussions that took place during the ANA's digital and social media conference which was July 19th through the 21st in Southern California. And it was uh, like um, recent ANA conferences and others. It was both in-person and virtual. Um, Susan and Carly and I uh, attended virtually. And reading right off the description, I, I think that ANA always does this pretty well. Uh, the purpose of the, the conference was to cover how the pandemic and social justice issues of 2020 changed what consumers expect from corporations and products with featured content around channel optimization and influencer marketing and digital transformation and developing inclusive and responsive creatives. So um, this conference is usually a good one. I went to one several years ago and they do try to like pull together um, essentially, you know, digital e-commerce and digital marketing and digital consumer experiences with social. And what's obviously happened a lot with social over the past couple of years is, you know, the advent of, you know, influencers, especially in the U.S., as being like, you know, the growing uh, platform. So it's a very far-reaching kind of conference where, you know, you have folks um, from public relations and, you know, social media experts and, you know, digital platform experts. So it was a little interesting. And Susan, I'm going to toss the first question to you, where mm -hmm. like the first thing on the agenda was Bill Duggan from the ANA and Mark Stewart, who um, I know that you used to work with and, and I know from a long time ago, um, and they're working on a programmatic RFP. Um, talk to us about what this one's all about. Sure. So, um, you know, the ANA has been talking a lot about the five-year anniversary of the transparency study that, that was released. And that transparency study was really focused on answering the question, are there um, kickbacks in the media world? It was a media transparency study. Now, we know a lot of the learning that came from that. Um, a lot came up about... Um, really having the right contract in place. And a lot of that information did apply to the programmatic world, especially how um, it came to, you know, how the holding company had a role in your contract and using different partners within the holding agency. But but it was really focused on the one question. So here we are five years later, you know, the there were a great set of learnings that came out of that study. So now, um, you know, digital is two thirds of ad spend and programmatic is about 75% of uh, digital activity is trans transacted programmatically. So really we're talking about a huge portion of the digital, of the advertising space um, in general. So in 2020, ISBA, which is the counterpart to the ANA in the UK, um, you know, the UK's ANA, if you will, um, did a study with PwC uh, that was released where they found that 15% of spend is missing within the programmatic supply chain. Um, you know, and we've heard a lot of feedback since that study came out in 2020, what might have caused 
um, some of the gaps in where they were able to just not find 15% of that spend, but, but really building on that and the amount of fraud that is still rampant within the, the digital world. I think, uh, Bill had said this, you know, the in his years in the business, he's only heard the word nefarious when talking about digital advertising, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, the ANA has put together this study really to focus on programmatic. So while the transparency study was really laser focused on this question, are there kickbacks in media? This programmatic study is much, much broader. So there's um, some questions they're really looking to answer. And um, what they're looking to answer is really who are we paying? What are we paying for? What do we get? How do we know we got it? What value was created? And where's the waste? And they're really looking at waste as a way to really reduce waste in both cost and quality. And, you know, their hypothesis is that there's billions in savings and productivity to be gained by doing this analysis. Um, some differences versus, you know, what was done in ISBA is, which is interesting, um, they really are looking to, instead of looking at the typical water where you're going from advertiser to publisher, it's really looking to go from advertiser to audience. So it's really getting into the whole supply side um, transparency as well, which should be interesting. And really looking to make sure it's looking at all programmatic, programmatic activity, including all the walled gardens. So we know there's a, you know, that's a very encompassing um, study. So we know um, this is an RFP that they released back in April, I believe. We actually declined to participate in this. You know, we feel our role is really to advise clients on what the outcomes of this study is going to be and help clients understand um, what they do with the information that's found. But it sounds like they're getting close to shortlisting um, whoever is going to be participating in this or uh, running this this um, study. And um, it sounds like there could be multiple participants running it. It sounds like there could be someone project managing it, maybe maybe a different company doing um, the investigative work like they, they had K2 do in the um, in the last ANA study and also uh, maybe someone doing the data piece of it. But they had a number of stated goals for the RFP. And I thought, you know, the final one is really kind of the big question. Determine whether oversight bodies need, are needed to ensure um, the integrity of the programmatic ecosystem, which, you know, as time goes on, the programmatic ecosystem is really the advertising ecosystem as it's at this point encompasses so much of the spend. So. Huge study, um, lots of moving pieces. So Carly, I'll <laughs> throw this to you. You know, what do you think with this big of a study are some of the challenges and opportunities for the AMA? So I think there's lots of challenges and lots of opportunities, but something whenever, before I jump into that, something the three of us always talk about, and we, we've talked about it with clients, is that this whole, going back to the ISPA findings of, 15%. That would never fly with any other media. <laughs> and that's just something that is is so interesting that it's that it's taking all these studies and conversations but nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. Um right there in and itself that's that's one of the challenges. You know, and you were talking I think when it comes to just um kind of getting it 
off its feet, forget about what's going to happen during the study, there's challenges right there with having multiple partners and, you know, finding the right people to work well together and have the right backgrounds and skills and points of view to design and administer and dig in and and all of that. Because um, there's just so much complexity and the, a constant evolution. Things change faster than anything can be done. You know, that ISPA PWC study, it took close to two years from start to finish. By the time the learnings were available, who even knows if they were, you know, anyone was able to apply them. You know, it just, it becomes every time we, we talk about it, and I mean no disrespect to, I think it's great work that they did, but all we ever talk about or hear about it is that 15%, not not anything else. What the What's the so what? So I think that, you know, there's some more challenges before I get to the opportunities. You already talked about the fact that they want to include walled gardens. That That is going to be a challenge in itself, um, an, an uphill battle. Um, and, you know, another challenge I think is the fact that the words digital, programmatic, and now even TV, they're not just words with a single definition. They are so complex. Susan's heard me say this analogy before and, and probably rolls her eyes at me, but it's like dessert. Dessert is a big word. It could be pie. It could be cake. It could be ice cream. It could be a cheese plate. There's so It's not a single definition. So you can't have one way to look at it, to dig into it, to plan it, to buy it, to measure it. And I know, you know, from our, our um, you know, pat being past auditors, and I think everybody has heard me say by now, I hate that word, but it is, it is what we did. And we always had clients that wanted to measure and check compliance against their digital programmatic, the same, using the same standard KPIs that they used for linear TV, and it's just not possible, you know, square peg, round hole. And we saw so many people excluding um, of so much of their spend because uh, they'd either, they assumed that their agencies or the publishers were optimizing for them and, and reading the results, or it was just too difficult. And um, we just, this needs to be figured out because 50%, looking, being able to understand 50% is better than being able to understand 0%. You know, I, I heard on, on one of the, actually, I think it was the Intel um, uh, and Dentsu, Dentsu one, yes, where um, he said progress over perfection. And that's been resonating with me. And I feel like that should be the theme of everything we're talking about and, and that everyone is doing here. But I think that the, the opportunities uh, a big one could be to combat that taking a long time to get done and find the results and a possible inapplicability. Maybe they would consider sharing learnings as preliminary, midway, final, rather than waiting for it to this whole study and the results and the outcomes and everything to be tied up neatly with a bow. Another opportunity would absolutely be to make sure they're covering the so what, you know, the the what are the recommendations coming out of it, not just what they found, because the, I do think that that's often what happens. Um, what needs to change in the industry with the publishers, clients, agency 
behaviors, operations, policies. There's so much opportunity there to make progress, not perfection. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. And I would I would also add, in addition to to maybe having some check-ins with some findings, one of the biggest challenges I just see is, you know, if the if the last study was so focused on answering one question specifically about, you know, are there kickbacks and and we got so much learning out of that. Well, now we're asking, what's the problem with almost all of advertising is how it feels like when you look at the amount of spend that programmatic is now representing within the advertising ecosystem. So I think a great first step in, you know, I think for the folks who are running this and end up with this, uh, you know, this is uh, for them to deal with, but, but would be to break it out into very specific pieces really map out and then you know there might be a really hard part that's going to take a long time but maybe some easier parts that you know we can start to figure out and get some learnings from a little bit more quickly because because it's it's a just just a huge question really that they're questions they're trying to answer absolutely agree with you and and no matter what as you said before susan we at Media Plus Advisors are looking forward to helping and advising clients on how to apply the learnings that do come out of it. So I'm going to move on to our next question that I'm going to ask Perry Ann. One of the topics that came up a lot was around influencer marketing. So we heard from Hyundai and MasterCard some different experiences, and they both brought up some different themes. So what are some of the takeaways around influencer marketing? I thought this was a good presentation. It was um, Paul Myers uh, from Hyundai, and he sounded like he ran social media marketing for them, and a woman named Victoria Walden, and it sounded like she was in uh, consumer public relations in, in some kind of role uh, doing like on the consumer side. And, you know, they had a couple of major themes. I, I think the first one and the last one was about the importance of marketing and the brand and public relations communication collaborating. They said that over and over. They were on the same stage. They have, you know, shared goals and shared KPIs. They felt that they couldn't pull off what they were pulling off in the social channel without that collaboration. Number two, they had some impressive segmentation going on across influencers. They had parameters set up and they said, well, it's this kind of influencer, it's that kind of influencer. They didn't think of influencers as one big blob of, of, of population. They, they really broke it down into uh, segments. And what they said was that they focus on what they call mid-tier influencers. So, you know, they're not going after like, you know, the Steph Curry's of the world, right? They're going after, you know, the mid-tier and they had a lot of reasons for doing that. And actually they tied it back to engagement rate. Um, you know, I wrote down that they said that they could track back to a 6% engagement rate, which I actually thought was a pretty interesting uh, and pretty high number in the auto business. So they're working with mid-tiers, but they also talked about um, the program that they had with Disney and The Bachelorette, which obviously is gigantic, right? And so it looked like they were really willing to, um, you know, be flexible 
and expand when they thought that there was an opportunity. You know, they listed out their channels one, two, three is Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. They said that, you know, a couple of times. And then I was kind of one last point, I was kind of left with this whole idea of the creative tension that exists in influencer marketing between authenticity, right? We're using influencers because they sound and they project an authentic point of view, but at the same time, they're getting paid. So they're talking about, oh, like these mid-tier influencers, oh, and this is the car that we gave them. So there is this, uh, you know, tension between those two things. Um, anything can be made to appear organic, but not everything can be made to appear authentic. And these two folks from Hyundai really seem to be able to understand the differences between those and really work it, um, you know, home. I, I thought it was a very good presentation, you know, especially since, um, you know, they talked about collaboration. They talked about the importance of metrics and, you know, they really had, you know, a pretty um, impressive way to, you know, segment their audiences. So, I yeah. yeah, I thought it was good. And and MasterCard, Tracy Spiegelman, I really liked her presentation around the influencer aspect as well. Because I, what was so interesting is it goes into that um, almost that creative tension again, and really, you know, while she wasn't, she was really talking more about, you know, the metrics of everything as opposed to the collaboration. Even though she did touch on that, of course, you know, she had a lot of really good metrics about how how much um, engagement influencers really brought over their traditional paid media but that you needed the paid media in order to help lift um, the influencer message. And and I just thought that was so interesting. And with the creative tension, I think we were talking um, a couple of times ago last time, I don't even remember about, you know, with influencer marketing, how it really does involve so many different teams. You know, you think of all these creative agencies that are making all of these like wonderful commercials with big budgets and they showed a commercial with all these athletes from MasterCard and just think like, you know, the blogger on Instagram who's like photo photographer photographing their um family in like matching outfits is has a higher engagement rate than some of these big, you know, highly produced ads. I thought that was fascinating. Fascinating. I, th I thought Tracy Spiegelman was good. The one note that I wrote down, like in bold type, was she kept on saying paid and organic go together. Mm -hmm. That was her whole message. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that was very cool. You know, yeah. she's pretty much saying, look, you know, nothing gets thrown away. Right. You need it all. It's just that it all has to it has to be uh, collaborative. So now, Susan, let's move on to the to the one topic that I think we all had a point of view on. And that was the presentation from Innovid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what was being presented there was a study um, which was really, you know, there's a real measurement challenge when it comes to CTV. And um, and she brought up some key takeaways. OK, jump in. What are your thoughts on this one? You know, I I um I love talking about and thinking about CTV cross-platform measurement things like that. 
Um, and Innovid obviously is um, a huge company. They're one of these like newly public via SPAC companies, if whether it's happened not or not yet, I'm not sure. It's kind of in the process. But um, you know, so so huge company, they they said they have, you know, something like 50% of CTV dollars go through them. You know, I, I thought this study was a little limiting. You know, I think the presenter, I believe her name was Jessica Hogue, did a great job of making it sound big. We looked at 1.7 billion impressions. I mean, in digital advertising, 1.7 billion impressions is certainly not huge, especially when she said one of the campaigns had a quarter of a billion impressions. And she kind of showed in one chart there were three big campaigns of equal size. So, so does that mean three of the campaigns were 700 million of that? So, it, it, you know, what, 40% or whatever that works out to be mathematically? Um, you know, so I, so I think it, it was not as big of a study as it sounded. And I think it still goes into um, a lot of the challenges with CTV that you're really looking at a household level. And, and, you know, we all use CTV through different methods, whether it's like I have a Roku enabled TV, um, you know, my nephew watches it um, through his Xbox and, you know, my sister has a different one, but we're all sharing, sharing accounts. So if we're looking at a household level, all you're, all you're getting information on is me who pays the bill, not my parents, my sister and her husband, my niece and nephew. I mean, I probably shouldn't be saying we're all like using the same um, accounts, but but I think that's where it's really limiting. And I don't, and I think it's very common how people are looking at that. And I thought the number of um, households she mentioned was interesting that it was 75 million households um, were CTV enabled, which sounds very low to me. She and said I think four fifths of US homes. Yeah. That's that, yeah, that that it just sounded like a low number, but um, I don't know. But but I think this idea that you're only looking at a household level, I think with all the sharing, you don't really have a very clear picture of it. And I think given the size of it, I you know, I think it's more than a cocktail party fact that um, there are frequency capping issues. And, and that study with the the limited amount of impressions they were looking at in campaigns didn't didn't show as big of a problem, but. I think depending on the um, vendor you're watching your CTV programming through, it absolutely is a problem. So so while I know it talked a lot about um, good re incremental reach, I really question how um, you're, you're really getting at the target you're looking to reach, how you're getting that incremental reach at a household level when there's potentially, you know, eight different people watching something. I mean, look, the viewer experience with excessive frequency mm -hmm. is a mess. Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, and, and the and the channel, the idea of CTV, man, they've got a huge problem with frequency management and the mm -hmm. household thing. I mean, you have to laugh. She actually said, quote, broad awareness is the goal. Broad awareness is the goal? Really? I think the promise of CTV was its ability to target across right. screens and devices, but because they're locked into this household construct, they mm -hmm. have to say it's broad. Boy, it's um, it's something that has to be cleaned up because if there's one thing viewers hate, it's excessive frequency. And and to your point with um, if broad reaches the goal, the whole promise of addressability is gone, right? Because it's addressability at a household level and that's it. And that's not necessarily... 
if we think that um, CTV is a video replacement for younger targets, looking at a household metric, you're just not capturing any of that. So well, back to your you and your how to get to the profiles. Huh? And I'm surprised they haven't figured out how to get to the individual profiles because if yeah, I mean, I'm thinking I think about my house do is like crack down on it before they figure out how to do that. You know, like who's Luke? Who's Alana? Like who's watching what? You know? <laughs> Only because I know in my house they are so different. Each profile is watching such different things that the the ability to to focus contextually just across my husband, my and my kids and myself. It's it household is meaningless here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, and and maybe that's all it maybe that's all CTV is what it's gonna be is just broad awareness. And then you have something like TikTok where my sister was over bar a different sister was over barring my uh, washing machine last night and we were both sitting here watching TikTok and our, and and because I I was starting to see the same video she was watching and I once again bought some stuff from Amazon off of this <laughs> product but um yeah it, it, but it's like maybe that's where you're going to actually drive purchases and conversions and mm-hmm. something really really targeted like that something i thought was really interesting um not from this conference but i had watched a 212 NYC uh, webinar webinar panel on convergent TV, mm-hmm. a different CTV, not connected TV. And I thought this was really interesting because I haven't um, I, I haven't been to Upfronts in a while, and I'm sure they're very different since the pandemic. But one of the speakers said this is the first Upfront TV Upfront where the networks actually talked about total video and not just TV and everything else. I was shocked to hear that, that it's the first time. Um, and I know this isn't directly related to what we were talking about with the, with Innovid, but I just found that so interesting that it is still so hard to get a total video view mm-hmm. of what's going on. So, and still so hard, but, but, um, couldn't that be part of the programmatic study too? I mean, since we're now starting to buy all TV programmatically, could you yeah. that question in there as well? <laughs> what are we getting and how do we know? It's true. It's well, true. Again, um, anyway, but but uh, you know, a lot of people are really trying to trying to focus on um, you know the video measurement. So we'll see how that progresses. Um, but um, you know, talking about Carly you had mentioned Intel and Dentsu before and and they really partnered together. And and I thought it was a great presentation. They really talked about um, cleaning up supply chain transparency. And again, that is something that really does kind of tie into some of what the programmatic study is going to be looking at as well. But I thought um, listening to uh, the client from Intel and um, Michael Law from Dentsu, I I thought it was a great example of a strong partnership of a client and agency working together to try to try to tackle some of these issues. So how how can we help clients get set up to do this with their agency? So Susan, I absolutely enjoyed that one as well. And it wasn't about the supply chain stuff that got me excited because that stuff never does. 
Um, but it was about the that partnership and trust was at the core of what they were sharing with us. And not just between each other as a client and an agency, but also as they were selecting partners. That the the fact that they came at this uh, this idea of trying to clean up supply chain with not just trying to tackle that, they started from the beginning, which was how to make sure that their strategic media priorities tied to their values and ideals and principles. So starting from the beginning, not just trying to get to that end solution and really having a great way of looking at what they were trying to accomplish, making sure it tied back and was authentic to them as a client and as a marketer and making sure that their agency lived by those those ideals as well as any partner. I thought it was so interesting. They were talking about, um, they started off with looking at 80 or plus partners and making sure that they met their criteria of trust and transparency and um, the ability to be you know, people-based and just a programmatic being the future of media trading, all of their, what they were thinking and living by. And out of the 80 plus partners, only 20% met that criteria. And they ended up only working with 15 key market, mar, uh, key partners. And in the end, it was just great outcomes that um, it really improved effectiveness. And there was, um, an increase in that there was an increase in how much money was actually going to media. So yeah, that, I, I thought that, that was, was interesting. There was like yeah. a really good efficiency story that actually made it worthwhile for the publishers to work with them because the publishers were then getting more money. But you have to imagine if they were able to cut down from 80 to 15 partners, that's a great efficiency on agency fees, resources, all sorts of things, just just the amount of people you need to to manage the partnerships. Mm -hmm. So now I wrote down a quote from from Michael Law because it really resonated with, again, this whole idea of partnership, trust, transparency. He said, programmatic buying fuels the future, but the transparency of the supply chain is crucial to create a stable ecosystem. That it, it was you know, again, getting to the core of what they were trying to do. And, you know, they recognize that the push for transparency has moved and been more successful on the buy side, but still the cluttered supply side is not as transparent. And of course, with the heavy reliance on wall gardens, it's making it, it it's even more difficult to, to get visibility. But I want to get to the question you actually asked me, which is what, how can we help clients have successful outcomes like Intel and Amplify Dentsu had here. And it really goes back to just the essentials of partnership that we talk about all the time and really having shared goals. It is so clear that they had shared goals and shared ways of working and principles and, and, and all of that. And too many times we've seen marketers and agencies just kind of parallel. They're driving along next to each other, not with each other. And that's how 
somebody helped them. I don't know if they did it internally, but somebody helped them really understand the tenets of partnership. And and I think that that is at the core here of just shared goals, trust, being clear, communicating expectations, wanting the same thing, having a plan to get there. So that that's really what I think on that. Yeah, and, and I know we keep promising we're going to talk about digital auditing um, in the next few weeks or so, um, but I, I think some of our approach to that, to how we um, kind of start a digital audit really does at least help lay out, you know, the landscape and ecosystem of what clients are and agencies are dealing with to to give them a starting point of what they need to focus on. Absolutely. I, that, that mapping out a particular particular client's own uh, digital and, and ecosystem is is a great starting point rather than trying to boil the ocean. I haven't said that one in a while, not, but that's what it happens. That's, you know, go, it goes back to what we were talking about before. It's, it's so complex. It's so, it's so large. There are so many things out there. Let's, the, a great way to really work as partners is focusing on what is meaningful to you and what you're doing and and just honing in on priorities not trying to do everything okay so we just talked about a lot of things and there was so much content and great content perry ann what would you say are the top takeaways from this conference overall i i wrote down three things carly i i think first number one we have to congratulate the ANA for continuing in this kind of like, you know, resurgence into conference going, uh, doing a very, very good job. You know, the way that they construct both the, you know, in-person and the virtual, uh, uh, you know, experience is really very good. It's great. Um, you know, signing up for one of those conferences is, um, you know, really value added. And I think the ANA is doing a great job, you know, trying to keep it all together. I think the major thing, which is my second point, is that I didn't hear anything new here, but that's not a bad thing. It used to be that you'd go to a conference and there'd be some, you know, the the hot new tool, the, the fancy, shiny new object, and everybody, you know, in marketing and sellers and buyers on both sides, you know, would run to whatever that thing was, and, you know, buzzwords would, you know, crop up around it and whatever. I didn't really hear that there was any new magic thing. And that gets to my third point, because the magic can happen. We'll take the, the MasterCard presentation, the Dentsu presentation, and um, you know the Hyundai presentation that I spoke about. The magic was really about the importance of shared goals, collaboration, and partnerships. It wasn't that they had this brand new technology platform or a way of you know segmenting audiences or anything it was really about working together across their functions to design shared goals that would get them you know to the same big result so i think that's the big learning that came out of it um and of course we're all going to be watching uh what happens to that uh that programmatic study um i think susan you made some really good points about it so um, I can't wait for the next one. I thought it was great. 
Yeah, thank you guys. I, I thought it was great as well. Um, you know, I know that ANA has really been catching up on a lot of the content that they had to cancel over the past 18 months. So hopefully those guys get a break soon because I think some of them have been running from conference to conference over the past uh, month. But, um, you know, it was definitely great to see see the content and talk to you guys about it. Um, so thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you again.